0: and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy Rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her.
1: And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning.
0: This is a spoiler-free podcast. So, whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character,
1: and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode Season
2: 5, Episode 17 forever
1: please promise me when uh you're on that leave we're still gonna call each other and do synchronized clapping
2: (laughs) so how can i get through one week without (laughs) clapping at the same time to start our podcast Um, we're really good at it (laughs) well it's been years i would i would hope that we're good at it now okay so i loved this episode i thought this episode was so good um and i think i forget that it's good because it follows the body obviously which is a lot of people's favorite episode of the whole series at least for its style and for what it did Mm -hmm. uh, the way it stands out but this one stood out to me too and i was surprised and i really really enjoyed it
1: speaking of years uh this episode is coming out a few days after our second anniversary on march 11th
2: happy anniversary everybody i know some of you i mean car and i have been here from from the beginning duh but um, there's a handful of people here who have also been with us since the beginning, and that's really, really special. So happy two-year,
1: everybody. Thank you, everybody. New and old. Um, yeah, no, I, I liked this episode. I think this episode has a tough job, because how do you follow the body? Like, like, the body was just such a standout episode that anything you put next to it is going to look bad in comparison. Yes. So... I think for what it is, right, for it being the episode following the body, it being an episode that is continuing to explore these motifs of grief and and loss and such, I I think, like you said, it does a great job. I don't think it's a great episode. There are probably a lot of kind of structural issues with it, um, and we'll we'll see how much of that I I feel like (laughs) talking about today. But I think you and I can agree on one thing, Steph, which is uh this is all willow's fault
2: oh absolutely who does willow think she is i'm getting such a hate for willow lately i just think she's making all the wrong choices and like you'd think i'd watch this episode and be like don what you doing but again (laughs) i carry over from the body and i have space i have a lot of space for don
1: yes Mm -hmm. don is not to blame in this episode Mm -hmm. everything don does is consistent with her character yep I mean, what Willow does is consistent with her character, too. We're just judging her harsher because she's an adult and she should know better.
2: Yes. And she's got Tara there, given all the good advice, given all the good choices, and she's like undermining her. So, oh, we're going to get
1: into it. Also, one more thing before we get into it it is a travesty. That Amber Benson is not in the credits, right? Yes. That she's not a series regular at this point. Yes,
2: she deserves it. She needs to be. Um, her presence in this episode, more than ever, you can see how her presence is necessary. Yeah, and then obviously we got a surprise guest popping in here, making my dreams come
1: true. You really liked the uh, the guy that Spike and, and Don go <laughs> visiting. Eh? He, he is a good character actor. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, I've always loved that man, so I'm glad he's back. Um, But more importantly, um, yeah, as a follow-up to the body, I just wasn't expecting the continuation of a very realistic portrayal of what Mm -hmm. it's like to lose somebody and the steps you take after should you be the person that has to organize a funeral or a wake or whatever it is that you're organizing. So I appreciated that in this episode, another reason why I really liked it. And that's what we start off with. So let's get into it. Buffy is walking through a room of coffins. The music is really intense. And we might think at first that she's patrolling, right? We've seen her do this before. Um, And she opens an empty coffin. There's no vampire in there. But then Giles, Dawn, and a funeral director come in. And Giles is asking if Buffy's all right. She says yes. And she chooses the coffin that she opened. And the director says, it's a fine choice. It speaks of your deep
1: feelings for the deceased. We're... Were you involved in this part of the process with your mom?
2: I was. I was. And um, I will never be able to pinpoint my feelings around funeral directors or hmm. uh, what are they called? Like, I know they're funeral directors. They're uh, funeral home directors yep. or or managers. Undertakers. Undertakers. <laughs> sure. Um, these people, it, it's so like I, I have a trouble speaking about them now because I respect their position. Somebody has to do it. But it's a very particular personality type. It's somebody who, I mean, unless you can shut it off at work, you know, go to work, do your job, shut it off, go home. They're upsell. They're upselling people. They're selling people on the coffins and the the tombstone and things that need to get done. But it's also their job to, like, you know, push. Often they're pushing the more expensive, nicer ones. And it's not that they're taking advantage of your grief, because some people do want to go all out. This is my mother, this is my father, this is my loved one. I want the nicest coffin there is. It's a weird, it's a weird situation to be in. And I totally related to Buffy in this.
1: Yeah, so I'm having similar feelings. I've never had to go through exactly this process yet. Um, Although I I did have a, a family member, a grandparent pass away recently. And again, I wasn't really involved, but I you know, I attended a service and such and, uh, was at the cemetery and, you know, they've got some plots there, including space, like enough space for like all us grandkids. <laughs> um, there was some real forward thinking happening on the <laughs> part of my grandparents, yeah. but this whole thing, like, and I'm trying to be very careful here is I don't, I don't want to disparage anybody's beliefs. I know some people have very strong beliefs about bury a body, cremated body, right? Like I'm not here to tell you you're wrong for thinking the way you think. I have trouble wrapping my head personally around the idea of like how nice of a wood box to put a dead body into because if I'm looking at it from my point of view, I mean I want to be cremated but like if I weren't cremated if you were going to bury my body I'm dead i don't I don't care put me as long you know as long as it's environmentally safe um put me in the box you want to put me in. I don't need something that's like gilded and trimmed and finished and polished, and again, I'm not here to judge anybody if, if they want that for their loved ones. It's just but watching this scene to me that was kind of my reaction was just kind of like, okay,
2: <laughs> yeah, so that that is exactly. sometimes the person who dies might have an opinion about that like for my mom i don't think ever did we knew we were cremating her but you still have to cremate them in a box so that's what this person in my experience was upselling us as like oh you can cremate her in the most beautiful box there is it's the most expensive or there's like the plain jane one right and it's like well yeah it's just gonna burn so that's what we would choose and you you spend more on the cremation box um but not everyone's like that and that's what i'm saying like this is a very it can be stressful. So the person who is in charge of handling the customers, such as this this man, they have to have a certain personality to talk people through what their options are. And that's what I mean. I it. they're perfectly nice and they're doing their job. Um, it's a job I couldn't do. And I think that's why I'm always like, wow, I don't know how you do this every day all the time. But yeah, yeah, for, so for sure. So I know a lot of people probably out there have gone through this experience as well. It's not easy and uh obviously Dawn is lingering and she's feeling uncomfortable about it. And she says, What if mom likes something else better? How do we know for sure she's the one who has to be in it forever? So these are the questions that you ask when you're in this situation. Buffy says, Maybe it wasn't such a good idea to bring you along. And Dawn's like, No, it's fine. And Buffy's like, No, I'm serious. You shouldn't have to deal with this stuff. And um they leave, right? And we get a close-up of Dawn, who's clearly struggling still, as is normal. So, um, we're coming to the Scooby's house after credits and they're having dinner and organizing the funeral and, uh, like this is, it's so, it sucks. (laughs) Like planning a funeral, um, especially when it falls to the people who are grieving the most to make all these really quick decisions in a very small amount of time. It's hard. It's really hard.
1: Yeah. Death is not an event, right? It's a process. And this is part of the process, Mm -hmm. um, And I've often heard people say, like, one of the kindest things you can do for your loved ones is have a plan in place for when you die, Um, not just financially, but even just procedurally. You know, the more that you can plan ahead of time, obviously, it's impossible to plan for everything, but the more that you can do ahead of time, the less work that's going to be for the people who survive you right
2: yeah and honestly bless all the scoobies giles Xander, and willow who are here helping mm-hmm. buffy with this oh my god like giles what a savior so when, when we when we get into them giles is helping her choose the flowers right and dawn's like what color are they going to be buffy says white um they're helping buffy write the announcement like she's never done it she's 20 years old she's never had to do this stuff before so thank god giles is there to help her and um buffy says that people will expect awake after the burial Um, unless we say something Joyce's preference was not to have any sort of gathering following her funeral and buffy says um she didn't like them she said that potlucks are depressing enough as it is uh that it does not sound like joyce to me though do you you know what i mean i feel like joyce (laughs) would be down for a good potluck
1: i mean all i know is i agree with that
2: you don't like potlucks i love potlucks
1: because people either bring the most outrageously outlandish food what? or they put in zero effort it's the tragedy of the comments
2: mm, i think it depends yeah then, then again we have to think about what potluck and where like is it a work potluck well, in which case I, yes.
1: I mean if it's like a birthday party and cordelia is coming you know you're good because she's chips and dips girl yeah but if cordelia is not coming you're screwed
2: yeah, yeah and it also depends on your friend group right like me and my friends we when we have potluck it's like it's always everyone's gonna get fed it's gonna be delicious you go to a work potluck you're right it's kind of a grab bag you don't know what's gonna happen so Dawn is confused. She's like, well, when did mom say that? And Buffy says, right before she went into the operation, we had to talk about what she wanted just in case. So just like what you said, Kara. Joyce thought ahead. Dawn says she never said anything to me. And Xander's like, well, I'm sure she just didn't want to upset you, Dawnster. Better get working on that dinner. You barely touched it. And Buffy says, yeah, you really should eat something. And Dawn says, why should I? You're not. And we're getting some attitude from Dawn at this dinner table. Ooh.
1: Um, i I'm shocked. Dawn acting out after the death of her mother. So shocking. <laughs>
2: Dawn throwing shade at her older sister. <laughs> Unheard of. Buffy says, this isn't about, and she'll just like, you know, this isn't about me. But well, then the, the phone rings and Buffy asks Giles if he can answer it. It might be Hank. And Giles answers it. It's not. It's just somebody asking about the funeral, which is tomorrow at three. And Buffy says, I can't believe he hasn't called. The number he left us in Spain is no good. I've left messages everywhere.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so so when Giles answers it, right, he says hello, and I forget exactly what he says after that, but the way he says it, you can see Buffy's expression for a moment she thinks it might be her father and Giles is about to hand the phone to her. Like, she wants Hank to call as much as She has complicated feelings for this guy. You can tell like she really wants her not real dad right now.
2: Yeah, no. And Buffy's on a journey this episode for sure. And part of that journey for me is her coming to terms with the fact that she feels like she is stepping into adulthood because her mom is gone. And here she is, like, even though he's a piece of shit, she's like, I want my dad to come and take care of things. I want him to come and be Mm -hmm. a parent because I don't want to be the parent. And we learn that at the, by the end of the episode. Like, that's what she's struggling with here.
1: Fuck you, Hank Summers.
2: Yeah, fuck you, Hank. The fuck? Can you imagine? Like, your daughter has not only really dealt with the surgery and the aftermath of your, of your ex-wife being sick, but now she's dead and you don't know. Like, it's been months. Like, he doesn't know. He didn't even know that she was sick. The fuck? Ooh. Ooh, fuck this guy. So... Buffy says, um, she's asking about the lines in the, you know, should should the funeral, following the the burial, there will be no wake or gathering. That sounds really dumb. And Dawn says, what are we going to do after the funeral? Are we going to come back here? And Buffy's really distracted, right? Because she's doing all this stuff. So she's just like, I I don't know, I guess. Like, I guess so. Buffy's like, what about at the request of the family, there will be no wake? And Xander starts agreeing to that. And Dawn says, like, quietly on her end, she's like, I don't want to be here. But no one hears her. So Willow comes in and Dawn asks if she can go to Willow's place after everything. And Willow is uncomfortable with this at first because I think she thought, like, Dawn and Buffy would want to be alone. So she's like, um, I don't mind. And Dawn ask, asks Buffy if she can go. And Buffy's surprised. And she's like, okay, well, yeah, if you want to, I guess you can. And Dawn says um, she'll go get her sleeping bag from the attic. Interesting. So we can see some resentment building up in Dawn. She doesn't want to be alone with Buffy in the house. She's looking for mm-hmm. other people to be with. Interesting.
1: So we cut outside to Willow and Xander leaving. And you, you can tell there's a little bit of awkwardness here. It, it's not awkwardness between the two of them, but it's, it's that kind of like nobody knows what to say, even to each other. Yeah. Right. Um, so Willow's uh, Xander's like, hey, are you like going right home? And Willow says, oh, no, I'm going to stop by my mom's place. Kind of been doing that a lot lately.
2: Sheila! Where are you at, Sheila?
1: <laughs> Xander, I don't know if this is like the the world's worst-timed your mom joke, but he's like, yeah, I might stop by your mom's too. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then he says, I'm not going to my place. Those people are scary. <laughs> Poor Xander.
2: Yeah, sure. Poor Xander. Poor
1: Xander. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there, right? Because yeah. we're always being reminded that he doesn't come from a very safe home, so...
2: I have a small space for Xander here, because I like how much he's looking out for Buffy.
1: Xander is not terrible in this episode. I think that's what we could say about him. It's
2: very gracious of us to say <laughs> that we don't hate him here.
1: We, we have other slander prepared. Oh. Um, so speaking of people, uh, perhaps Spite, Spike, Spite, because <laughs> Spike is coming towards Xander and Willow. And he's holding a bouquet of flowers.
2: Flowers that he's clearly ripped out of someone's garden.
1: Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whomst among us staff has not stolen flowers from somebody's garden? Come on. <laughs> so Xander's like, oh, oh, no, you're not going to, you're not doing this. And Spike's like, oh, I'm not going in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you, you can't, Spike. She <laughs> you literally cannot enter
1: anymore. Touche. So Xander says, you're not leaving the flowers. He says, you think you're going to score points with Buffy this way? He's like, we all know about your doomed obsession. And Spike says, this isn't about Buffy. Um, And Xander says, you know, bull. And Spike's like, they're for Joyce.
0: <laughs>
1: Xander doesn't believe this. Doesn't believe that Spike cares about her. Um, Willow's trying to like, not quite be the peacemaker, but it's just kind of like, you know, like, guys, like Buffy's going to hear her. like, let's take this elsewhere. Um, and Spike says, care, Joyce is the only one of you lot that I can stand. Spoice. (laughs) Spoice. And and Xander is like, well, she's the only one with a daughter you wanted to shag. I'm touched. And Spike says, I liked the lady. Understand, monkey boy? (laughs) She was decent. She didn't put on airs. And she always had a nice cuppa for me. She never treated me like a freak. To which Xander replies, her mistake. And Spike says, think what you want. He throws the flowers down on the ground and he walks off. And Willow picks them up and Xander makes a big to-do about, oh, you know, Spike thinks he can just con Buffy into being his sex monkey. <laughs> Which, ew. Yeah. Um, and Willow, rightfully so, interrupts this gross tirade and says, Xander, he didn't leave a card. So Spike was just going to leave random flowers for the house?
2: Just just for choice, I guess. car, uh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I have a lot of thoughts. Go on. <laughs> I could go, go on, go on. So the first one, on one hand, I think that Spike is mourning the death of his
1: lover's voice.
2: <laughs> of the voice.
1: That is c- clearly how we should read this. That is
2: how I want to read this really badly. Um, because he's feeling guilty, as you said, in the body. It truly is Spike's fault that she had the aneurysm because he broke her heart by being creepy toward her daughter, right? So really, Spike killed Joyce. That's why he wants to leave these flowers. That's why Xander's upset. So that <laughs> that's that's my fantasy land of spoils. But in all seriousness, I like Xander's protectiveness here of Buffy, right? There is that side of toxicity to it with the two men like, you know, like, oh, get out of your face, blah, 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 blah. But I don't mind it so much here, because I do think it's genuine that Xander is looking out for his grieving friend, right? A couple episodes ago, when Buffy was grieving Riley, that was Xander projecting himself onto the situation and putting his nose in where it doesn't belong. Here, I think Xander has every right to recognize that Buffy is vulnerable, that Spike is an abuser and an opportunist, and Buffy might feel vulnerable enough to let him in. Right, right. And Xander's here to stop that. And I, I, I appreciate that about Xander here. So my my other comment, and this is something I've noticed a lot in the comments on TikTok, especially because I've I've done TikToks about Spois. Everyone loves them. There's not one person who doesn't like them because they're accurate and hilarious. But <laughs> there are a lot of people who have said that Spike looks at Joyce as a stand in mother that Spike and Joyce is one of their favorite relationships on the show because they are bonded. Like they have like this very strong friendship. She's a surrogate mother to him. And I'm sorry, but that stretches it very far for me. I think that they enjoyed a strange little friendship for a couple of scenes here. I think Joyce tolerated him for sure. And Joyce is a kind person, a naive high person most of the time. She definitely let Spike in and she gave him a sympathetic ear once in a while, you know? But uh, to say that they were like bonded, to say that she's like his surrogate mother is a step too far. I think they met five times, right? In School Hard, she hit him with an axe and said, you stay the hell away from my daughter. The second was when they were awkwardly sat in her living room as Buffy and him made a truce and she took in the information that Buffy's a vampire slayer. The third time, Spike went there to talk about his breakup. And he threatened to kill her behind her back. She didn't know that. But that wasn't about Joyce. That was yeah, you, you guys missed it. Kara did the little face that he did behind her. When Angel's like, get out of here. I'll, kill, I'll like pull your head off. A hilarious scene. Again, that's not about Spike seeking out Joyce. She just happened to be there. He was talking to anybody he could about his breakup. The, the fourth time was when they watched Passions together, I do believe, uh, which was this season. And sure, they could watch Passions together and get along. No big deal. And then the fifth time is when he was at the kitchen, like talking to Joyce about, sorry for keeping Dawn out, but really he was there for Buffy. So I'm just, I had to lay it out. I was always, I'm always confused when people are like, that's a surrogate mother that he looks to Joyce to to fill a void in himself and i'm like what <laughs> like what
1: what yeah you've done a great job analyzing this so i don't have too much more to add i just i i think this is a fairly decent act on the part of spike uh, i'm gonna have some more spike spite later on in the episode don't you worry but yeah i i mean i think that this is spike just kind of recognizing the importance of joyce in his life for whatever reason we want to believe um and he, he yes he wants to get in Buffy's pants but I also think what we know about Spike is that he is uh he's a poet right mm-hmm. he's got that kind of romantic streak to him whether or not we think he's capable of feeling love you know he believes in himself as a romantic so I think this is consistent with his perception of himself right is I'm going to bring flowers to this classy woman who's died because it it, it reinforces his own narcissistic view of himself
2: yeah and i like that and like where i was going with listing all that off was like as much as i don't think that people i think that people are reading really hard into it um maybe they're they're drawing from stuff that happens later in the series we already know from a flashback that spike was like mother's waiting so clearly he had a mother but i'm with you on this i i I do i do believe that spike brought the flowers for joyce it wasn't about buffy But it is always kind of about Buffy, isn't it? Because Buffy's like, don't come near me. Like, she's physically and emotionally drawn away from him. And he's still coming to the house. Like, he could have left those flowers the next night at the grave, you know? Like, there's a lot of things that he didn't need to come to this neighborhood for. So when you say the narcissism of it all, I have to agree with you. Um, It's an interesting scene, though. The next morning, it's the funeral. It's actually probably around noon uh, when they're about to go and um, bury her. And Buffy's sitting on her bed. And we pan over and Dawn's also on her bed. And I think what we really need to take in here is that the girls are separated, right? They're not leaning on each other.
1: Well, that's part of the thing about grief, right? Is even when you have loved ones around you, grief is isolating. Grief feels like this very solitary emotion where even if you know other people are grieving the same loss that you are, what words can you say
0: yeah
1: how how can you possibly bridge the gulf between you and another human being in this moment you can't you feel empty and alone
2: and here's the thing what i this is another reason why i think this is a really good episode why i appreciate that it comes after the body the body is about death it's about grief but it's about the first day it's about the first couple hours when you are dealing with it, new news and it's also
1: about buffy yes and this episode is dawn's grief primarily
2: yes yes i agree so so we have that and then here we have dawn's grief it's probably been about a week after the the body happened and we watch the funeral and what happens before and after the funeral and i appreciate this show for this this is why one of the reasons why i'm really enjoying season five why why i love the series itself they're dedicating the time to going through the process they could have just had one episode one episode where they dealt with with joyce skipped the funeral altogether and went ahead like a a couple weeks later to when Dawn is feeling the way she's feeling now. But to give us the space for the grief to continue on a couple days after we watched them take in the news that their mother is dead. And now we see the fallout of it following up on a funeral, which is already one of the most emotional uh, events that one can go to. I just wanted to say like, thanks, Joe. Like just, you know, good job. Good job for continuing on and allowing the audience the space as well to come with you on this kind of journey. So um, we're at the cemetery. Joyce's coffin is going into the ground. The reverend is doing her his ceremony. The Scoobies are there. There's other attendees as well. Cara, we need to talk about the clothes. <laughs> we need to talk about what they wore
1: to the funeral. But we never talk about fashion on this <laughs> podcast, Steph. It's
2: a fashion-free podcast. Everyone knows that. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> so you talked to the body. You talked about how... Just in, especially in our area of um, the world, in Canada, uh, it's traditional to wear dark colors, you know, navies, blacks, grays. Buffy, surprisingly to me, is in a beige coat with a gray turtleneck.
1: Well, well, so remember, part of that is so that it's harder for predatory moose to see us. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. <laughs> the, the, maybe our American friends don't know that <laughs> we
1: we, bl- we blend into the the green <laughs> and gray boreal forest um, environment. and then those uh, <laughs> the vicious moose who might otherwise hunt us down can't see us, right Where you're when you're wearing mm. bright colors outdoors, uh, you might be spotted by a moose.
2: Yes, and then afterwards we go on a traditional beaver hunt after every funeral. <laughs> it's just what we do. Um, it's our culture
1: the most dangerous game
2: (laughs) um but yeah Buffy's in a light lighter colors Dawn's wearing black Willow's wearing black Anya and Xander are wearing like shades of purples which I'm like okay I will let that slide I need to talk about what Tara is wearing (laughs) what the fuck Tara I I love I love Tara I think Tara's been great did not
1: understand the assignment
2: (laughs) Tara did you was it laundry day they like what happened? What Will happened? Whoa, to
1: wearing pantyhose.
2: <laughs> T- Tara is wearing black jeans, a reddish brown leather coat, like a brown or like red shirt or something like a tank, like like not like not a nice shirt, like a like a casual shirt and bright jewelry, like jewelry that like stands out on her neck. Um somewhere out there my Chinese Ancestors are crying because in 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 my culture, red is celebration. You cannot wear red to a funeral. It is just the worst color you could ever. Po- it's so disrespectful. It's a punch in the face. I don't expect Tara to follow Chinese culture, but that that is how. like I just said, even in Canada, you wear dark colors to funerals. So to see her standing there in her casual outfit, I was like, what in the world? Like, uh, don't you disrespect Joyce this way you know
1: i i did pay attention to the colors i I, you know i did notice how buffy wasn't in all black but i i I saw it as well you don't always have a black coat right like yeah yeah yeah. sometimes sometimes it's very common even here for people to be wearing black but if it's not one of the two warm months of the year (laughs) then you're probably wearing a coat on top and it probably isn't black
2: well, Buffy's didn't upset me as much because I'm like, you wear whatever you want to your mother's funeral. Literally, I don't like that's on you. Uh, that's up to you. Whatever you want to wear, they're comfortable with.
1: So I, ha- I hate to to do this again twice in one episode, but can we say something nice about Xander? Because he cleaned up really well. He wore a suit. He wore, he was looking spiffy. It, like It was all black, like black on black on black. Um, I'm assuming Anya picked it out for him. <laughs>
2: There, yeah, a little, it was. There was a little taste of purple in what he was wearing, which I is, didn't.
1: I didn't see that. Well, like
2: I said, I let it slide. I was like, "That's fine," because yeah, he looks he looks appropriate, right? <laughs> like, I'm Tara, like, what are you doing? Oh my god, I lost my mind. But anyway, um, while we're watching the funeral, Buffy isn't crying. She's staring at the uh, coffin. Dawn breaks down at one point, puts her head on Buffy's shoulder, and she comforts her. After the funeral, hugs all around. Right? Everyone's giving a so hug. Th- I
1: mean, this is maybe apropos of nothing here, but something else I thought about watching this scene was how one type of person who annoys me is the type of person who takes it upon themselves to like be overbearing in how much solace and comfort they provide to people who are grieving. So when, I, when my grandparent passed and we had a little service and my mom you know, was crying and stuff. And I was just kind of standing behind her and I'm not a very touchy feely person, so I didn't do anything. But one of my mom's close friends kind of like started like patting my mom's shoulder and kind of like reassuring her physically and stuff. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for my mom, whether or not that was welcome, but there was a part of me and maybe that was just because I don't want to be touched, but it's like, it kind of, it almost feels like this person wanted to be there for my mom just for the sake of being like I am here for you. Does that make any sense? Yeah,
2: yeah. There's some people who when they're grieving maybe or when they're feeling uncomfortable, they're like, well, I can reach out and I can be the person that provides that to somebody that makes me feel better.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It just it felt a little bit like she was making about her and how good of a friend she was. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being catty.
2: <laughs> I, well, I don't know your rela- I don't know your mom's relationship with her, so I have no idea. I can say like for me, I have like I know the person that I would lean on in that situation, right? Like I know the person who I'd like to touch me, who I would, who I wouldn't mind hugging. You know what I mean? Um, it's not everybody, so like I understand your how you would be uncomfortable with that, but there can definitely be some like this is about me in there for sure. <laughs> so uh, everyone, when the funeral ends, hugs Buffy and Dawn, right? Everyone's gone at this point except for Buffy, Dawn, Willow, and Tara. Tara approaches Buffy in her outfit. <sighs> And it says, Dawn's ready to go. Um, I'm ready to go to the bronze because that's what I dressed up for. Can we take her with
1: us? Oh, Steph.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. She just, I, I don't, someone, someone who understands Tara more than me, come and explain why she wore that. Buffy says, yeah, yeah, take Dawn with you. I'll stay here. Tara offers that, like, to wait, right? She's being sweet. She's like, can we wait for you? Um, and she's like, no, no, I'm fine. Dawn looks upset. So they leave. And Buffy is staring at Joyce's grave. Um, she just stands there until it gets dark. Like She stands there all day. And then footsteps approach from behind. Kara, <sighs> it's Angel. Angel the vampire has traveled from LA. And he's here. Who? Angel was a vampire. 243 years old, I think, at this point. 44, maybe. We haven't seen him in a season. But he's a handsome vampire.
1: <laughs> oh, Oh, didn't Buffy have a thing for him at one point?
2: Yes, they had many things. There was... Huh. there was uh coitus there was making out in graveyards there was I
1: don't, bite sex doesn't ring a bell. the
2: first time we saw
1: must not have been very important
2: <laughs> he says i'm sorry i couldn't come sooner and buffy simply this is buffy just reaches behind her and grabs his hand like she didn't even turn around to look at him like oh hey it's angel she literally well, she knew, she knew.
1: She knew. She, well, for one thing, she could hear him coming right with her slayer senses she's like <laughs> yeah. Well, I know those footsteps. Yeah, well,
2: well, they're connected, right? We know that. They're psych- psychologically connected. So I think she just knew. And I also think, in my opinion, I think she she's waiting there all day because she's taking in the fact that this is her mother. This is where her mother's going to be for eternity. It's almost like she's waiting for him. Like She just, she just knew he was going to come. Maybe she called him, right? Maybe she called him the day before and said, I need you to come. We don't know. But it's Angel. And they just stare. They stand by the grave together and they stare. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm so touched. So. Let's go to Willow's dorm. All right. Dawn is in the most uncomfortable sleeping situation I've ever seen in my whole life. (laughs) She's just on her sleeping bag (laughs) on the floor. It looks flat AF. (laughs) Um, Does not look comfy. But Tara and Willow are sitting with her and they want to help more, right? Willow's feeling bad. Willow says, "Um, you know, it's going to get better. And Dawn says, you don't know that. And Tara's like, no, we're witches. We know stuff. And Dawn says, life goes on and I forget, mom, is that what you're saying? And Will's like, no, like, not forget. No. And Tara says, you make a place for her in your heart. She becomes a part of you. Does that make sense? And Don just stares at her. And actually, um, I know I had a little Tara slander earlier just because she made a weird choice today. But I love that Tara does not make this about her in any way. She, At any point in this right. conversation, she could easily say, I lost my mom when I was a little bit older than you
1: suck it up kid yeah
2: like we I've been there I've done that like it's fine Um, she, she could have done that right in a nicer way obviously being like I understand what you're going through because but she doesn't right I find that really interesting that she told Buffy about that but she's not telling Don she's just letting Don feel what she feels which is interesting
1: yeah I think I love Willow and Tara in this scene I think they would make excellent moms you know they're doing such a good job mm-hmm. of just taking care of Don right now
2: mm-hmm Willow says, we don't have to talk about it now. We, we can just go to sleep. Dawn gets up and she's like, I don't want to sleep. And Tara says, well, we can do whatever you want. And Dawn says, you know what I want to do now? You guys are witches and you do magic and stuff. <laughs> Ooh, stuff. And Willow says, you want us to teach you something? Like a glamour? Or I, I could make a stuffed animal dance. And Dawn says, I want to do a spell. I want to bring mom back.
1: <gasps> oh, dear.
2: Oh, my. Anya and Xander have just finished Coitus, and they both agree that it was different and more intense than before.
1: Oh, <laughs> you know? just, I'm just going to take a break from this <laughs> scene.
2: I want to take a break, too. Let's all come back. <laughs> It'll be silent for 30 seconds. Let's At the dorms. <laughs> um, oh. Anya says it's because of Joyce. and um, she, she says, basically, people die all the time, and they get bored, too. You kind of need one um, so you can have the other. When you think of it that way, death is a little less sad, sex a little more exciting. I understand sex more now. It's not just about two bodies smooshing together. It's about life. It's about making life. And Xander is like Ugh, Gross. Ugh. Xander's like what like when two people are much older and way richer and far less stupid. And uh, hey, on one hand I agree with Xander. On the other hand, if I'm gonna slander him a little bit here, you don't need to like lose your mind if she's talking about kids, Xander. Like, you don't need to, like, fly off the handle. Like, it's fine. Anya says, breathe. You're turning colors. I'm not ready to make life with you, but I could. Life could come out of our love and our smooshing, and that's beautiful. (laughs) Makes me feel like we're part of something bigger. Like, I'm more awake somehow, you know? And Xander's like, yeah. And they kiss. Ah, Okay. So here, I don't like watching Xander and thinking about Xander making love. What I do like is how we are learning from here. Like you said, this is about Dawn's grief, but we're also seeing the grief of the Scoobies. Like you said, the body was about Buffy's grief. We've seen Spike come out of nowhere to be like, oh, I actually kind of respected Joyce. Um, I was boinking her on the side a bunch. So here's her flowers. Xander is getting more protective of his friends around him. And he's appreciating at least Willow's mom, because I think he did appreciate Joyce. But here we have Anya. Anya has taken... Joyce's death, and she's learned something from it for herself about her own life, and about her purpose and what she might want out of life. And I think that's really beautiful. That's one thing that a lot of people do do. do do. That's one thing people do when they are grieving or when they experience some life event, um, sometimes as tragic as death is that you kind of reevaluate what your priorities are, what matters to you and what could matter in the future. And I think that's what Anya's doing. I think that's cool.
1: At the door, Tara is uh, reacting to what Don said. Uh, say, well, of course you want to bring your mother back. And I wish we could, but it's not possible. And Don says, why? You guys do magic for all kinds of things. Don't forget the stuff, Don. Willow says, well, we do. But and Tara interrupts and says, this is different. Magic can't be used to alter the natural order of things. Don argues, saying... All you do is mess with the natural order of things. Point to Don. Uh, you make things float and disappear. And, you know, sometimes you make everybody fall in love with Xander. <laughs> like, that was a time.
2: Sometimes they make floating O's.
1: Right. Good times. Uh, I can deal with the floating O's. Not so much the coitus in bed in the smooshing. Um, Tara says, well, we don't mess with life and death. And we get a close-up on Willow <laughs> taking this all in. And Tara says, Don... I know how bad you hurt. <laughs> and then Dodd screams, you
2: don't! No, you don't! No one understands me! No one's been through this before! Not one person!
1: <laughs> Such a teenager, I love it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Dodd says, they put her in the ground! And Tara says, they did, and it's awful and unfair, but this isn't the way. And I just, I love the emotion in Tara's voice when she says this. Like, she she's clearly so empathetic and calm yeah so willow says i'm not even sure it's possible i've seen things on resurrection there's books and stuff but i guess the spells backfire and terror is once again kind of quick to get the conversation back on topic and say that's not the point and you know if they were like sitting at a table right now she'd be like jabbing willow with her foot mm-hmm, at this point mm-hmm. Um, and Willow says, no, that's, that's not the point. The point is it's bad because, but she, she's not really able to articulate why. So once Gaintero steps in and says, because witches can't be allowed to alter the fabric of life for selfish reasons. Wiccans took an oath a long time ago to honor that. And Don says, so it's possible (laughs) because she's a teenager Mm and she's, you know, even better than a lawyer at finding loopholes and things (laughs) to bring someone back. They wouldn't have taken an oath if they didn't know they could do it. And Tara says, well, maybe they could, but we can't. Willow says, she's right, Don. It's too dangerous. Notice how she doesn't say it's, it's yeah, wrong. She's like,
2: it's not wrong and you can't not do it, but it's dangerous. <laughs> That's why we can't.
1: We're we're seeing quite a salient difference in Willow and Tara's approaches to magic here. Mm-hmm. You know, willow willow is clearly much more analytical when it comes to magic she's all about what is possible right she's that she's the person we she's the jurassic park scientist here where it's like they they uh were so obsessed with what they could do they didn't stop to ask if they should do it right right? (laughs)
2: life finds a way uh tara is
1: more (laughs) spiritual right she's more about the the balance the natural order um and it's interesting to see that difference emerged so starkly in this conversation and i'm curious to see will that lead to anything if the show ever decides to give willow a story arc again? yeah
2: if willow ever gets her own storyline again maybe we'll see this play out uh the way i see it is willow's projecting onto don right now because nothing bothers willow more especially in season three and four when people said she couldn't do magic she couldn't do what True. she wanted to do with the magic. She'd always get defensive about that. She'd be like, oh, I, I can't. Yes, sir, I can. You
1: can't give Angel his soul back. <laughs> That's not possible, Willow.
2: Right? She's like, I'm going to fucking do it. Um, that I'd give her a pass for. It's it's more when Oz broke up with her. Well, sorry, when Oz cheated on her and she wanted to do more spells for Giles. Giles said... You're too emotional right now. There's no way you should be doing magic. What does she do? She does, like, a spell that lets her will come true. And she fucks everybody up for an episode. So that's just what how Willow thinks. She doesn't like being told no. So when she hears Tara telling Dawn no, for good reasons, as we're saying, she can't really quite articulate why that's a good thing. She's like, it, uh, it's dangerous. Um... Yeah, we, we certainly shouldn't do it. Mm, like, she's so hesitant about it.
1: <coughs> Very big only child energy going on right here.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is like, we've seen aspects of it before. But in this scene particularly, I was like, it's so clear that Willow actually doesn't think it's a bad thing.
1: Right. So Dawn says, you said you wanted to help me. She gets all uh, surly. She goes and she lies down. She ignores them. Yeah,
2: she like turns her back. It's so great. She's like, no one gets me. (laughs) Not even the Wiccans.
1: I just imagined her journal entry right now, right? In her diary.
2: Ooh, Willow and Tara. Ooh, underline. (laughs) They're such bitches.
1: No, 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 no. Beaches. They're such
2: beaches. Can you believe, diary? Ooh, give me that entry now. Okay, okay, Kara. Buffy and Angel are cuddling next to a tree in the cemetery. and You wish
1: you were that tree, don't you?
2: I wish I was the tree. I wish I was the blades of grass, the wind blowing through their hair. I wish I was even Joyce's grave a couple feet away <laughs> listening in. I wish I was the whole scenery. <sighs> Buffy's is opening up to Angel. It's lovely. She's saying, the funeral is brutal. It's tomorrow I'm worried about. And Angel's quiet. He's just, he's like, you know, he's asking her questions. He's listening. He says, what is tomorrow? And Buffy says, that's exactly what I don't know. Up until now, I've only had a roadmap, things to do every minute having to do with mom. And Angel's like, well, tomorrow, the stuff of everyday life resumes. And Buffy says, everyone expects me to know how to do it because I'm so strong. And I was like, is that true, Buffy? Is anyone expecting you to do that? I think you're expecting yourself to do it. Angel says she needs time. Everyone understands that. And Buffy says, time's not the issue. I can stick wooden vampires, but mom was a strong one in real life. She always knew how to make things better. Just what to say. And I put here in my note, you can see it. And just what to smoke. (laughs) I'm going to miss Stoner Joy so much. So Angel says, "Uh, you'll find your way. Not all at once, but, and Buffy says, I don't know. I keep thinking about it when I found her. If I'd had just gotten there 10 minutes earlier, Angel says, they told you it wouldn't have made a difference. And Buffy says, they said they probably, that it probably wouldn't make a difference. The exact words that they said was probably. I haven't told that to anyone. And that is so significant, Kara, that she hasn't opened up to anybody about this yet. And she's able to do that with Angel. Mm -hmm. That's why he crossed over for the episode. That's why he's here.
1: But but I think part (laughs) of it is exactly you know she can open up to him because he's not always here yeah right so any anything she tells him he's going to take back to la and you know who's he, who is he going to tell there
2: yeah but that's the thing that's that's why it's important that he came right someone to lean on who doesn't have big stakes in her life right now anyway right but he's listening right he's listening and she's able to open up to him. Uh-huh.
1: big stakes mm-hmm.
2: he's got big stakes all right so angel says it doesn't make it your fault you couldn't have done any different And Buffy is sad because remember in the body, she forgot how to do CPR. Like she had to be reminded and she thinks that she fell apart because of that. And she says, that's how good I am at being a grown up. She says, it'll be okay if if it was just me I had to worry about. But Dawn, Angel tells her, it's okay. You may not feel like it right now, but you are strong, Buffy. You're going to figure this out. You have people to help you. You don't have to do this alone. And Buffy listens to that. And then she's like, it's going to be light soon. And Angel says, I can stay in town as long as you want me to. She says, house forever. Does forever work for you? And she sits up and she looks at him and she says, that's a bad idea. She says, I'm seriously needy right now. And he says, let me worry about the neediness. I can handle it. They stare at each other, Kara. And Buffy leans in and she kisses him. And they kiss softly. And the fucking Buffy and Angel theme song plays. And I died. I was like, this is so uh, it just means so much. It means so much. So their kissing intensifies, right? And Angel pulls back from her and he's out of breath. And Buffy says, I told you, you better go. And Angel has this look on his face. And I can't help it. I jump right back to I will remember you because I that's the last time they made out. And he's like probably like oh God it all comes back. My heart, my heart just rips in half. And uh Angel says I'm sorry. And Buffy's like, no, I'm so grateful that you came, Angel. I didn't think I was going to make it through the night. Ugh. And Angel says, we still have a few more minutes before I have to go. Buffy says, good. She leans on his chest. And she says, good. And they just comfort each other. And then that's the end of the scene. <sighs> so, Carr, did you know, rumor has it, word on the street is that Beyonce wrote her hit, Halo, based on Angel. <laughs>
1: Are you for real
2: <laughs> no not for real This me be joking um no for real for real absolutely she watched this episode All
1: i could think about when i was watching that kiss steph because it was such a close-up of the two of them kissing with their lips mm-hmm. i was just like kissing is so weird mm.
2: this is an interesting kiss because it's comfort kiss It's familiarity. It is Buffy being needy for him. um, And he recognizes that. They're really
1: just pressing their lips against each other. Okay. It's nice. (laughs) I'm... I, yeah, we're, I don't have to get into it. That I just wanted to register what was going through my mind when I was watching that kiss.
2: What I was going through my mind was that these are soulmates. These are twin flames. These are people that love each other so deeply. It's gone beyond boyfriend and girlfriend. It's gone beyond friendship. They're just they're just soulmates. Like they just they just get each other. And the fact that Angel showed up here to be with Buffy on the hardest night of her life, and she didn't even have to turn around and know he was there. Like she she just knew that he was behind her. I think that's so significant and so lovely. And I just love that Buffy, like you said, like he's he's easy to open up, up for her because, hey, he hasn't been around um, and it's easy to open up sometimes to people who aren't like intimately involved with your day-to-day. But that's why it's important for him to be there. That's why this night is significant for
1: him well, to be and there. And it's such a departure from the last time we saw Buffy and Angel together, right, where they were still kind of butting heads mm-hmm. back uh, you know with riley and stuff and they've come a long way in the last i don't know six months or a year or whatever it's been since that episode but like they've come a long way
2: well that's why like i want to solidify like my thoughts that they just they're just they've moved beyond like you said the pettiness of a bean ex-boyfriend girlfriend they move beyond being in love with each other during that first three seasons they are in a place now where i think they just love each other Like, they have space for each other. Buffy has a space for Angel in her heart that no one else can touch. And they get each other. Like, that's that's what the scene is showing to me. And I just love that Buffy has him here because she's opening up about her guilt about not saving her mother. And I think it's really appropriate that it's Angel she's talking about with this. Because all through season three, what were the two of them talking about? Making amends and becoming heroes. And what does a real hero do? What does a hero mean? What does being a hero mean? So Buffy is sharing with another hero that she couldn't save the one person she was supposed to save in her mind. She failed. And he's telling her it's okay, right? That there's nothing you could have done. And I don't know who else. I mean, Giles could have had this conversation with her. But we already know that her and Angel have bonded over that in the past. So I thought that was really consistent with their storyline from uh, the earlier seasons. And I also want to say, because we've seen this before Kara on our social media, but some people point out to the scene, and they think that Angel's taking advantage of Buffy here. Like they insinuate that because Buffy's needy and Angel's there kissing her, that he's taking advantage. And I think it's very clear that that's not the case. I think that he allowed her to kiss him for a bit but then he pulled away because he was like this is not what you actually need but like taking comfort in me for a second is okay but he's not going to let it go any further and i think that's also something she needed and that's not another reason why xander kept spike away right right? there's there's vulnerability here that angel recognizes
1: but angel actually has kind of a maturity that Spike doesn't where it's like let me handle the neediness for you, right? Where it's like, he's going to make sure the boundaries stay intact.
2: Yes, absolutely. And he's like, lean on me for a bit. But like like you're saying, there's boundaries here. I have them.
1: And, and that was classically always the case with Angel, right? Like when he showed up and again, like some people are like, oh, he stalked Buffy and stuff. Like, yes and no. Like, yeah, <laughs> some of his behavior is a little bit stalkery, but that was because... He was setting up boundaries. He was never the one who initiated like, I'm gonna be in a relationship with you. That was Buffy. Angel was always like, I don't want to tell you I'm actually a vampire. I don't want to tell you that I'm into you, right? Yeah, like yeah. Angel was always like, Are you sure? Are you sure what this is? are you sure that you want this? Always checking in with Buffy. Um, you know, he was always very careful to draw lines and and, and wait for Buffy to say, I am ready to cross this line. Uh, and that is a huge contrast with Spike, who wanted to just like jump across all the lines at once and be like, "All right, Buffy, let's date." He's clearly you're into me, I'm into you, let's do this. <laughs> and it's like, okay, Spike, clearly you're deluding yourself.
2: Yeah, and I, and like again, like that just goes to show how well they know each other here. That Angel knows I have a boundary, and I know when we've reached it. He pulls back when he when they do, right? And Buffy's so grateful that he did that and also that he showed up for her. And like, just like a quick story about why this scene, I think, really resonated with me, um, not just because I'm a big Joel shipper, but because this is so true to real life. So I remember um, when my mother passed away, we had the funeral and then we had the reception after the funeral. And, you know, you your family, you, you and your family are lined up at the front. People are coming in. You got to hug and greet everybody. It's it's an ordeal, right? It sucks. But it is the polite thing to do. It's what you have to do. And I remember like, you know, half an hour of greeting people, hugging, crying. You, I look up and my childhood best friend Katie was there and she had moved to Toronto like um, when we were 12 or 13. Um, but we stayed in touch, obviously. And she had flown that morning to be there for me for my mom's funeral And I'm gonna get teary eyed here, but like I just, I just, I'll never forget that. I remember I just broke down. We cried. We hugged each other. Like my dad let me leave the line so I could go spend time with her. You remember these things. You remember who shows up for you, who you didn't even have to ask to come. They just come. And that's what this represented to me. These things can be a blur. You're caught up in your emotions. Like Buffy just stood there all day. She stood there, what, like six hours waiting for the sun to go down? And she'll always remember that angel was with her that first night, just like I'll always remember my friend Katie showed up. Agreed. Even though like me and Katie aren't as close anymore because you know sixteen years have gone by, I'll always, always remember that.
1: Yeah, you don't have to be the same level of closeness with somebody for your whole life to be grateful for them when they were there for you in the past.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's what this scene can represent for a lot of people is sometimes people who you have had a lot of history with who aren't in your life as closely as you think they are they're still there for you when you go through the big moments and that's wonderful so Mm -hmm. you're my hero angel i love you so much stay forever
1: speaking of somebody who's here for buffy (laughs) in a different way
2: (laughs) yep uh same level just different different styles (laughs) ben the sexy intern sorry the sexy murdering sometimes casual dressed minion a beating intern <laughs> is approached by Jinx on the street. They're in the street somewhere. And Ben snaps. He's like, tell my sister I'm sick of running into her Jawa rejects. <laughs> and Jinx says, she bid me come to you. The news of your relationship with the Slayer. Gloria would like to encourage this interest. It might lead to more information about the key. And Ben says, "Why should I share that with the with the most unstable one?" And Jinx says, "Time is running short, sir. Every moment you fight Glory, you're only fighting yourself, you see."
1: Is that? Is that Does that mean there's some kind of connection between Ben and Glory?
2: So if Glory runs out of time, it affects Ben? I'm confused. <laughs> I thought Ben was maybe just an the they
1: maybe they have a time share, so if she runs out of time, he also runs out of time? <laughs> at their place that they're staying?
2: Maybe Glory also has a father in charge of the hospital. <laughs> they
1: hmm. their rivals <laughs> only one of them can inherit the hospital i see how there it can is. only be
2: one that's what the show has taught us so ben says fine let let the best me win let glory understand this i won't help her find the key i would never do that to an innocent and jinx like innocent innocent that's an that's an <laughs> interesting choice of words <laughs> And Ben tries to backtrack, he gets panicky, and Jinx is like, no, I understand, and he goes to leave, and Ben is like, you understand what? When I, when I said innocent, I didn't mean the key as a person. Shut up, Ben. Oh, ben. Shut the fuck up, better you dumbass?
1: you're making it worse. This is stupid. He's Why are you so bad at this? <laughs>
2: He's like, you're gonna run and tell her, aren't you? I,
1: I, I didn't say that it was Buffy's kid sister, daughter and that their address is this. This and... has nothing to do
2: with the Slayer sister, at all he says he says do you understand what's going to happen if she finds the key how many people are going to die i can't let that happen don't you see he stabs jinx and he's like i can't let that happen and i was like ben you fucked up well but also
1: like he leaves the body and yes we know that ben has killed other people he should be better at killing people than this you know this is sloppy like i i have nothing but criticism for ben in this scene not just for what he says but like You should be better at murdering by this point, Ben.
2: Unless the minions don't have, like, normal organs. and He thought he, like, killed him. And then it turns out the minions don't have anything inside them. But
1: (laughs) you should still be dumping the body somewhere. It will never be found. Or
2: ensuring the body is dead. How about that, doctor, in turn? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was sloppy work all around for Ben. um, Just wandering the streets so that Jigs could just find him easily, number one. Uh, (laughs) Number two. Just saying that, like, basically admitting it's a human. And then... The third part is not not checking to see if Jinx is actually dead. Uh thank God it was Jinx and not Drag
1: though. So we're back in Willow's dorm room. They uh Willow and Tara are leaving for breakfast and Don's like, Oh, I don't want to come, I'm not hungry. Uh so Willow says, Well, I've got class after that. And Don says, I was gonna sleep more. Um, she says, Jals said he'll pick me up whenever. So she's being once again. Very teenage, very surly.
2: <laughs> she's weirdly hostile.
1: Mm-hmm. Willow is just doing her best, but she's being a little overbearing. She says, well, I have a break around lunchtime. I can come back. And Dawn's like gritting through her teeth. She's like, I might not be here. Fuck
2: off. Get out of here. You're not helpful.
1: And Willow says, I'll try my luck. Uh, and Tara says, take care, Don." So they go to leave. And this is a very interesting shot. Willow's looking sadly at Dawn. And then the camera cuts to, we kind of just see the lower part of Willow's body as she's walking out of the frame to the left. And we see her move her hand, like it's just by her side. And she moves her hand ever so slightly. And a certain book telekinetically gets pulled ever so slightly out from the bookshelf. And Dawn notices it. She picks it up. She starts leafing through it. And she reads "Age of Levitation, "War of the Warlocks," "Resurrection," "A Controversy Born." Mm. Um, and so she keeps reading. So Willow has given Dawn the first piece of this puzzle.
2: Yeah, this was a this was a move. This was a a move by Willow, and I don't know her motivations for it quite clearly. I know it's wrong. <laughs> I know it's wrong, and I know she's doing it secretly behind her Tara's back. That's not good. So at the magic shop, Dawn is dusting uh, while Anya is, like, walking around close to her. (laughs) And I will add that Dawn's hair is pulled back. And she looked really pretty to me in this scene. I I liked her hair pulled back like this. And Giles tells uh, Dawn she doesn't have to help, right? And Anya's like, oh, yeah, sit down. We have some very amusing chicken feet you can play with. And um, Dawn says she likes being useful. You know, it helps her keep her mind off things. And Giles is, like, all for it, right? He's like, yeah, we can use your help. And Anya's not. She's like, "Ah, you pay me to help. Like, this is child labor. And Giles is like, Anya. And I think Anya then clues in. She's like, oh, um, wonderful that you find doing my job so distracting. I am unthreatened. Proceed. So Dawn asks if if there's anything off limits, right? And Giles is saying that, yeah, all the like the dangerous stuff and the potions, everything, all the books, they're on the loft upstairs. So if anyone asks about that, come get me. (laughs) And he says, maybe later we can work out the cash register. Like I can show you how to ring up sales.
1: Giles very clearly has never had kids. (laughs) He's
2: like, yeah, I would be like, why?
1: (laughs) Tells the kids exactly where the dangerous shit is. And then believes that watching him bring up sales is going to be enticing. (laughs)
2: He's like, you want to be useful? I can help. Anya is off working with client with customers. Giles goes to the back for a bit. Dawn immediately grabs her backpack and goes up into the loft and she finds the book and the and like potion that she needs right away. And as she heads back down the ladder, she stops for a moment because Giles walks by her, but he doesn't know her. And then when she gets to the bottom of the stairs of the of the ladder, Giles is just like, Dawn, come watch this transaction. Right. So she stole. She stole from Giles. So we cut to Dawn in the cemetery. Um, I don't know why she's allowed to be alone now versus every other time in the show. But she is pouring all the stuff on her mom's soil. And she has the book. And it's Spike who comes up behind her and says, I hope it's just dirt you're after. If the spell calls for anything more than that, you're into zombie territory. And that's bad news. I know what you're up to. The book you've got is
1: infamous. So was Spike just lurking outside Joyce's grave?
2: Yeah, because he misses his lover. And I also think that he... This is why why earlier I was like, you could have just brought the flowers here. You did not have to go go to Buffy's house at all. You never have to go to Buffy's house ever again. (sighs) So Dawn begs him not to tell Buffy. She's like, I have to get her back. I have to. And Spike says, I'm not going to tell a little bit. I'm going to help. Giles is listening to records by himself at his house. And he's drinking alone. And this is a very small scene. And I wonder if they're just showing... Because again... It's showing how all the other Scoobies are kind of dealing with the death and how the aftermath of it. So they need a little something to give to Giles because Giles was close to Joyce. He was spending a lot of time with her.
1: Well, because we didn't, we don't get more Xander and Anya in this episode, right? Like we got the one scene with them. We got the one scene with Giles. Giles doesn't really have anybody else, right? Like, there's as far as we know, Olivia's not in the picture anymore. Like. He's back to kind of living his life for Buffy. And it's great that he's being supportive of her, right? Like, I, I think I went on about how he's her real dad in the last episode. But, like, poor Giles, man. Like, he needs some friends his own age. He needs mm-hmm. kind of a little life on, of his own.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also like to think that Angel uses one of Onyanka's old portals to get between L.A. and sunnydale and the portals located in giles's house so that's what he's oh, doing he's waiting at home for oh dear. angel to come back so he can <laughs> use the portal <laughs> that's in the corner of giles's house um,
1: that one corner there where <laughs> on his yeah
2: that's it's still open as far as i know
1: <laughs> i just said sorry I just quick thought can we just spare a very brief moment of silence for poor brian
2: oh you think brian was at the funeral
1: I don't think he was at the funeral, but, like, did somebody tell him? Like, did Buffy have his contact info? Did he just call the next day, being like, hey, Joyce? And Buffy had to be like, she dead, bye. Like, Guy just met Joyce the one or two times. They went on one date, he gave her flowers, and now she's dead. And I know he wasn't a big part of her life, Mm -hmm. but, like, that's got to suck.
2: I think probably people at work told him, because remember, he was in there. He's a publisher in the Sunnydale Publishing House, but he was working at the gallery, so he probably found out that way. Yeah, I feel bad for him, too. (sighs) He's like, man, that was... That was a really nice date, and I'm going to miss that lovely lady. And we got really high in my car before she got home, and that was nice, too. Ah, Joyce. So Spike is bringing Dawn to some guy who knows everything there is to know about resurrection. And Dawn says, you don't have to be nice to me. I know what you're doing. I'm not stupid. You're, like, stalking my sister. (laughs) you do anything to get in good with her. And Spike says, Buffy never hears about this, okay? If she found out what I was doing, she'd drive a redwood through my chest. I
1: love that line. And I would like to see that happen. <laughs> or wait, sorry, are Redwoods endangered? I don't want to see that
2: happen. No, a normal pine tree or something. There are, like, You know, there's so many. Um, Don asks why he's helping her if he doesn't want credit. And Spike says, I don't like to see the summer's women take it hard on the chin is all. And I'm dead serious. You breathe a word of this to Buffy. I'll see that you end up in the ground. Got it? So I think Spike wants to do this because he wants to see Joyce again. He wants to see... Joyce, walk again. Spice forever. But why do you think he's doing this at the end of the day?
1: This is a very interesting contrast between Spike and Angel, right? And if we look at them as rivals for Buffy's affection, as apparently some fans want us to do. Okay, but
2: no. Spike and, Spike and Riley were the rivals here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but in this episode, right? It's interesting how they're both trying to help Summer's women, but in very different ways. Angel as you discussed very eloquently is comforting Buffy. He's giving her solace, he's consoling her somewhat physically but also just very emotionally and he's holding space for her. Spike of course needs to do something. He has to take action. And so his way of giving of consoling Dawn is I'm going to help you resurrect your your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of how dangerous it might be, which I think also speaks to Spike's kind of impulsive and reckless side, right? And we've seen that in the past. In the difference between him and Angel is like Angel makes these plans and stuff. Spike is basically like, "I want this, and I'm going to get it now," right? He's the id. Angel is the ego.
2: Well, luckily, like the two younger siblings versus the two older siblings.
1: Well, yeah, that's a that's a really good way of framing it as well. So I just I think it's interesting. To be a hundred percent honest, I think that. The show needed Spike to do this, both because they needed somebody who was going to help Don and because they wanted Spike in the episode, right? Um, So I think the show is just reaching just a little bit to justify Spike doing this somewhat selflessly. But, you know, in-universe, it just goes back to this idea of narcissism and how Spike says he's not doing it for Buffy. He says he doesn't want credit. And I, I believe that he believes that. He's convinced himself of that because he's such a narcissist that he believes he's a good guy does that make sense
2: yeah i don't forget i was made to love you because not only is he getting a buffy sex bot built as we speak he in that episode was cast out by the other scoobies including don so as much as i i think i agree with you that the show is like we need spike to be involved in some way and why not make him a little bit more complicated when it comes to his feelings around joyce's death he's an opportunist and he is in my opinion always looking for an edge in and if he can get Dawn, her little sister to trust him again that's one step forward toward that plot that's how i see it
1: that's a good point yeah
2: so glory is with her minions and <laughs> she's freaking out because jinx isn't back yet and this is why we we're so pissed off everybody is because jinx is alive Ben did not do his job um right like
1: if you're going to kill a minion to keep your secret from the big bad <laughs> fucking do it right come on you're it's in your it's in your um title right Ben the sexy murder intern yes, come on, come ben. on.
2: like this, you missed out on like half your namesake there um so yeah in he in comes Jinx drag, dragging in and Glory's so funny she runs to him and she's like mind the rug it's like a, it's like hell to get blood out or something um but she's like do the slayer do this to you i'll pull her wings off like she's like freaking out and um jinx says when he falls on the couch he says it was ben and glory loses it she like pulls out some of her hair she's like ben ben i hate you i hate you i hate you and jinx says the key he told me he indicated that it was a person most highest you
1: (laughs) poor jinx he's having a he's really struggling right now
2: i know and G- glory's a like, he's in human form and jinx says i believe so um good one <laughs> this is actually pretty funny <laughs> um and glory hugs jinx and he's like oh
1: well like this is this is jinx having like jinx is having the minion equivalent of an orgasm right like his <laughs> god is touching him
2: i know and he's like in pain but he's also like ah. and then jinx she's the
1: happiest like, day of his life
2: she's like jinx my robe stud you're my man i'm even gonna let slide on the lame toadying on account of your dying and stuff and when
1: she says <laughs> when she says that there's this brief moment where jinx is like what <laughs> you're gonna let me die
2: i think it's just so funny because like she she <laughs> he's in so much pain he can't like compliment her as he usually would and she noticed she's like this is not good enough so she says the key is secreted away in a fret in a flesh wrapper this narrows our search down in a serious way we didn't have a clue before it could have been a log or a bicycle bumper or whatever am i right
1: glory just now has to kill every single human until she finds the key easy
2: peasy so um, Jinx passes out. And Glory's like, okay, fix him, would you? I want to hear the whole story again without all the annoying
1: moaning. <laughs> so, Steph, can I just say on your behalf? Yeah. Drag would never have allowed himself to get stabbed.
2: Oh, uh, no. Not at all. Drag would have did his job. He well, There's two things that Drag would have done. Uh, he wouldn't have gotten stabbed at all. He would have gotten that information and pieced the fuck out. And if he did get stabbed, he would have died properly because he also obeys Ben. <laughs> so there's... There's two sides to that. Okay, so Dawn and Spike enter an apartment, and Dawn notes that it smells like grandpa. And Spike shouts out, and an old man with glasses and in a bathrobe comes out, and he says, I know you. You're the guy who hangs around at the corner mart, big into dominoes, aren't you? And Spike says, Can't say I am. And the man just laughs, and he's like, Oh, I swore you were that guy, but you're a vampire, ha ha. Dawn is, like, weirded out by this conversation, so she just says, Maybe we should go. And the man just says... Just because the lights are dim doesn't mean the juice is all gone. What can I do for you? And Spike says, this one's mom kicked it a few days back. And the man apologizes to to Don. And Spike says, we were wondering what uh, can be done. Like, heard you were the one to ask. And the man at first says, no, 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 no. Like, you don't want to mess with that. I know some tonics that make the grieving uh, fly by um he says any one of you witches got an experience of spells of this magnitude i didn't think so so he pulls out a piece of dawn's hair and says your mother's a good candidate at least strong dna and dawn has this look on her face when he took her hair right he's like she's like right And i think it's because she realizes too she's like wait I, I i should keep my dna under wraps because you're a key
1: <laughs> i i don't think i don't think she realizes that i think she's just like it this guy just Pulled a piece of my hair. Okay,
2: out. Um, I'm thinking more deeply, but then again, you're right. When has Dawn ever cared about her secret? She just told Ben, to Ben, the murdering intern, willy nilly. Dawn notices that the guy has a tail as he's like humming to himself over on the side. You notice? Did you notice what he was humming, Kara? He's humming Peter and the Wolf.
1: Yeah, that's not good. This guy. I mean, I'm just getting seriously creepy vibes off this guy. This is gonna be fine, right? This is fine. Possibly, this bad. is a that's nice. He's
2: like Whistler. He's like a nice man. We, as far as we can tell um, but yeah when he hums Peter and the Wolf I was like mm, "This is a creepy ass story that's why the man brings over a large book then Dawn says that she's already gathered ingredients but there's something that she doesn't understand so the guy says there's a Gora demon standing between you and success and um, that's the translation that you're missing and Spike says is the Gora demon local and the man's like oh yeah like they like to stick close to the hell Convenient. Note. Egg of the Gora gives life it's the key to the spell and don's like can i buy it and he's like no if it was as easy as making an omelet everyone would try it no no you have to steal the egg from the nest of the demon and the gora won't be happy about that he says you need an image of your mom once you have all these items together you have to create a sacred circle of course and the photo of your mom put it in the middle and then say the incantation three times and she won't appear poof like all at once but it'll take a while uh but she will come to you and then he, he reminds her that if anything goes wrong, she can reverse it by destroying the image of her mother. And the man warns her. He says, it's a tricky spell, girl. I can't say for sure your mother will come back exactly the way she was. Sometimes these things get a little off. And Dawn says, she'll still be my mother, though, won't she? And he's like, more or less... <laughs> wow okay. i'm confident
1: <laughs> no red flags here
2: nope this is gonna be fine um cara i think i've talked about pet cemetery before on this podcast i love pet cemetery the book um and this was giving me all the vibes and i was creeped out by this man and Does this pet story. cemetery
1: predate this episode yeah
2: absolutely absolutely so
1: has Don not seen pet cemetery like this is my thing It's like Don. it's like i know you're stricken with grief but like have you not ever watched any movie where people try to resurrect somebody? Never, this this whole thing is coming from the monkey's paw. Have you not been required to read the monkey's paw in high school English class? Like
2: The very fact that this guy says, more or less, is like enough for you to be like, it's not going to be your mom.
1: This is the best resurrection guy you could find, Spike?
2: <laughs> like, what about all the zombies we saw at the Zeppo? what about like all the zombies we've seen
1: maybe dodd's thinking that well you know my mom was so baked half the time that more or less is probably a good description (laughs) of her
2: yeah it's true she'll just be eternally high that's what we got as her when she was alive so like whatever um so so the guy tells them where they can find the gora demon entrance don tries to give him money and he's like oh he's like oh no keep your money and he takes off his glasses he's got this beady little eye well, that's
1: another red flag yeah
2: right it's like oh you don't want money for helping why are you so helpful
1: don honey like there ain't no such thing as a free lunch you are being scammed right
2: and but that's also on spike for like just she's 14 what's she gonna know um don says thank you and you can tell she's warming up to him right she's like oh he's so nice because he like touches shakes her hand and he like offers her comfort he's like you know let me know how it goes he's like a grandpa and then um his eyes turn black as she watches and she gets spooked and she's like i'm gonna go now and i was like i don't know girl like of, of all the things that happened in this particular conversation that should have been enough for you to be like maybe i can't trust this person i don't know who he is or what he is you know
1: so we arrive at the entrance to the Gora Demon's lair in an alleyway. Spike wants to go in alone, and Don says, "No way, I'm going." Can we
2: talk about the opening of this Gora Demon entrance? How it's just out in the open? It's like a big. Well,
1: that's what the guy says, right? It's <laughs> just like, off of Crazy
2: Like anyone can just walk in.
1: <laughs> yes, but they could use it. They're not going to walk out. Uh, so Spike's yeah. disagreeing with Don. He says, "No, you're not. I've got no idea what's down there." So. Don says, you need me, Spike. Somebody's got to get the egg. While well, you distract the Gora. Now, come on. So she goes in. Spike says, well, what do you know? Biddy Buffy. Mm. And uh, we confront the Gora, which kind of looks like a dinosaur, a lizard. It's a dinosaur.
2: It's, it's, it's a dinosaur. Speaking of Jurassic Park, well, it's a dinosaur. We, we
1: we quickly discover it has multiple heads <laughs> uh, because Spike, Spike has an axe and he says, you know, come on, you know, fight me and stuff. And he kind of wakes it up because it's sleeping and it rears up and we see it's got three heads, which Spike's taken aback for a moment. Uh, it's a pretty good model. Like, it's a pretty good um, prop. Good job for whoever created you thought this. You thought
2: so? I thought from far away, yes. But then when Spike starts fighting it, I was getting Prey and Mantis vibes. <laughs>
1: For for a one-off, you yeah. know, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> um, so they're they're fighting, it's a big whole thing. Don sneaks in behind and lifts an egg from the nest and runs away. Uh Spike buries the axe in um the neck of one of the necks, and they go to leave, but Don, of course, trips and drops the egg, <sighs> it breaks open, Spike looks at her, he's like, Not again, so Don runs back in. Spike tries to distract the Gora, but he doesn't have his weapon anymore. Uh, He manages to grab the axe back, but he gets thrown back across the cave. Uh, He buries the axe in the Gora Demon again, not before he gets bitten on the side of his body. It looks painful. I don't care. Um, Don has another egg, so Spike uh, doesn't quite, like, injure, like, doesn't, like, destroy the demon. But, you know, he gets it good um and they run out don's apologizing for getting him hurt and he's like i don't whatever and i'm like yeah i don't care either spike
2: <laughs> what a weird scene <laughs> it's like a little action dinosaur scene um i do love dinosaurs so that was that was fine by me um in don's room she okay car did you notice unlike her older sister don put a sheet down or something she put something on the carpet to separate the sacred circle from the carpet <laughs>
1: I didn't notice that, but I'm glad that you pointed it out.
2: <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God. Someone learned. Um, <laughs> so she's doing the incantation, right? She's got the pictures and the gr- of Joyce and the ingredients. And as she does the spell, we get a close-up on the soil of Joyce's grave. This is where we get the, the little talk between Willow and Tara. Willow's journaling. Because again, as I said, like, you know, a lot of the Scoobies are kind of coming to terms with what death means and how that impacts their life. Willow decides that life goes by too quickly. So she's going to start journaling about everything. She wants to remember everything she says. And I thought it was really funny because what she's talking about is, what did I have for breakfast? And I was like, (laughs) Willow, in the last episode, you literally had a meltdown over the proper thing to wear to a funeral. (laughs) And the importance of being there for your friend overall matters more than what you're wearing. And here you are being like, what's for breakfast today? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's not what you should be journaling about. I mean, hey, journal what you want to journal about. But I just feel like like that was just a really funny thing for her to be stuck on, (laughs) to write about. So uh, Tara notices that the history of witchcraft is missing, the book willow pretends that she's no it's missing she's like, what and tara's like don must have taken it this is really bad and willow says it's just a history book it can answer her questions i don't think she could do any harm with that stuff could she so here's what that's where i was like did she know like does willow want her to try the spell or did she is this the truth is is it a, just a history book to willow
1: i don't think that willow thought don would get this far i think that willow thought she was being helpful because willow has always seen knowledge as comforting and good that is her mo right as a nerd as a highly intellectual and academic student willow has always wanted to learn right she excelled at computers she got close to jenny calendar that was kind of her first exposure to magic her her desire to learn magic has never been about power it's always been about i want to know right and and she doesn't have any rails. She doesn't have any bumpers. She's just always wanting to learn more about magic. And the problem is, magic's dangerous and can kill you in a way that, um, you know, unless you're jacked in, the computer won't. <laughs> so I think that's the perspective that Willow has on this. She thinks that by showing Don this book in, and letting Don explore and go down this path, it's going to be, quote unquote, harmless. Because so far that's been Willow's experience with magic, mm. okay. um, and Willow, Willow is seeing her, seeing Dawn in herself. Seeing her, sorry, Willow is seeing herself in Dawn, and she doesn't realize that Dawn's situation is very different. Dawn maybe doesn't have the same maturity level that Willow had, um, you know, as a teenager. So she has, she's putting a lot of faith in Dawn, and maybe some of that faith is misplaced. So I don't think Willow had any malicious intentions here i don't think she seriously expected dawn to try a resurrection spell or if she did you know willow's like well nothing's going to happen but i don't think willow was thinking clearly and thinking it through
2: yeah that's a good way of putting it i also think that willow puts a lot of trust in magic itself where tara has always been more cautious right um and where willow likes to go all the way in so, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So so Tara says it's not a how-to guide, but it refers to specific resurrection spells and potions. And Willow says she doesn't think she took anything, but maybe she did. But we should look because who knows? I don't. like. And Tara says we can't waste time on that now. We don't know what she's up to. Willow says we have to call Buffy.
1: Willow, you're almost as bad at this as Ben. Lies.
2: She's lying to Tara about this. Like She couldn't have just been like, oh, yeah, you know what? I kind of pointed her in the right direction just because I thought it was going to be like a history tool, like like what you're saying.
1: But Willow doesn't want to have a fight because she hates conflict in her relationships. It's true.
2: It's very true. And uh, again, if they ever decide that Willow deserves to have her own storyline, maybe we'll see more of that. But this is not good. This is not good. Tara does not deserve to be lied to here. Buffy returns home. The phone is ringing. She answers it. We assume it's Tara. Upstairs, Dawn is finishing up her spell. Buffy comes in. She's like, "What have you done? Like, what have you done?" And Dawn says, "She's coming." And she's she runs downstairs. And Buffy picks up the picture of Joyce and chases down down chases Dawn downstairs. They're in front of the front door now. And Buffy confronts her, and she says, "You have no idea what you're messing with. Who knows what you actually raised or what can come through that door?" And Dawn says, "I know it'll be her." And Buffy says, no, Tara told me that these spells go wrong all the time. People come back wrong. And Don says, he told me her DNA. And Buffy grabs Don and says, who told you? Who helped you? Don says, nobody. Let me go. Again, uh, like you and I, we always got on the case of Riley, who liked to grab Buffy a lot. But in here, it's very clear that Buffy's grabbing Don to get her to listen. And, but again, we know that Buffy's stronger than Dawn, so I'm like, mm, I do kind of wish that Buffy didn't grab her
1: here. Well, it's different. The whole Buffy and Riley thing is different because they're partners. And Buffy's strength aside, right, it's a male-female dynamic, and there's a lot of issues there. This is a little bit different. I'm fine with the grabbing. I'm not fine with what happens in a bit.
2: Yeah. Buffy says reverse it. Dawn says, no! No! And she grabs the picture of Joyce and runs into the living room. Buffy follows her. She says, you know, this is wrong. You know that that you can't let this happen, not to mom. And Dawn says, I need her. And we see, oh, it's so creepy. It's so well done, too. We see what we can only assume are Joyce's legs walking unevenly through the cemetery. Like one looks almost crooked. Like it's obviously not a person. It's like it's like a possessed body of sorts, like just the way she's dragging her one foot. So Don says, I'm not like you, Buffy. I don't have anybody. Buffy says, of course you do. You have me. Don says, no, I don't. You won't even look at me. It's so obvious you don't want me around. Buffy says, that's not true. Don says, yes, it is. Mom died and it's like, you don't even care. (sighs) Buffy says, of course I care. How could you even think that? Don says, how could I not? You haven't even cried. You've just been running around like it's been some big chore. Cleaning up after mom's mess. And that's when Buffy smacks her.
1: So this is the part that I would not even attempt to defend, right? Like, it is wrong to hit somebody. Um, It is wrong to hit a significant other. It's wrong to hit a friend. It's wrong to hit a family member, especially when Buffy is the older sister. She is, I don't know, legally she's the guardian now with Hank and all. I don't know. But, like, Buffy's the one in charge, right? And she should not have it done. Full stop, not justifiable.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I I think that's why, like, earlier when she grabbed Dawn and Dawn said, don't, like, keep your hands off me, like, let go. That was the first step before Buffy, I think, got too far here. So, yeah, I agree. Violence is never the answer. Uh, Let's talk about what Dawn is accusing Buffy of here, though. I I think I've been giving Dawn a lot of space during this grieving process. This was really brutal. This was a really brutal thing to shout at your sister, especially when we know, because We got that little monologue from Buffy with Angel that she's hurting and we know from the last episode that she's hurting, she's grieving, she cares, she cares so much and we got mad at Riley for being like, you never cried to me. It's like she doesn't have to cry to anybody. If this is how she's grieving, this is how she's taking in her situation. That's that's for Buffy. That's for Buffy to decide when she's comfortable to cry. Dawn's young. She doesn't understand that, right? And I think Dawn is obviously feeling abandoned, not just by her mother, but by her sister. And she doesn't understand. She's too young to really understand that, no, Buffy cares and Buffy is present, but Buffy has to do the funeral stuff. She has to make all these decisions because there is no one taking care of her. So it really, I really do think what Dawn said was inappropriate and too harsh.
1: I don't know. I I hear what you're saying i agree that buffy needs support like i i agree completely completely with how you're analyzing the situation but i think dawn's attitude is so understandable the way she's looking at it the the way that she sees it i understand it Mm -hmm. right like because she's younger she doesn't understand what buffy is being through as the slayer she doesn't understand the the burden on buffy's shoulders right now i think Everything Dawn's doing right now just makes so much sense.
2: It, it Like we said at the beginning, it aligns with her character. It aligns with the way she sees the world right now. But that doesn't make, mean it wasn't too harsh for her to say. Like to say you're just cleaning up after your mom's mess is really, really right. I agree
1: it was very harsh. Mm-hmm. But like I don't see how Dawn couldn't have said it, right? She doesn't have the capacity to empathize with Buffy in that way at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Buffy gets upset, obviously, because she hit her um and she regrets it she says i've been working hard i've been working i've been busy because i have to be don says you've been avoiding me buffy says i'm not and she's crying and like do we think buffy's been avoiding don i can see, again like what you said i can see how don sees it that way so
1: yeah, yeah exactly buffy is not buffy hasn't been avoiding don yeah. buffy has no idea this is what's been going through Don's head i just want to point out uh we're back in i will remember you territory where sarah michelle geller's just turning on those tears. On command. And
2: are they oh, too much for you? Are they overdramatic as they were in that episode?
1: <sighs> oh. oh, oh. <laughs>
2: curious.
1: <laughs> You're not going to let that one go, are you? <laughs> Just
2: curious.
1: No, I think they're perfect.
2: Yeah. Um, I find her tears very effective here. She says, I have to do these things because when I stop, then she's really gone. And I'm trying. I'm really trying to take care of things, but I don't even know what I'm doing. Mom always knew. Don says, nobody's asking you to be mom. Buffy says, who's going to be if I'm not Don, Have you ever thought about that? Who's going to make things better? Who's going to take care of us? Ooh, and she's really crying now. And she says, I didn't mean to push you away. I didn't, but I couldn't let you see me. Oh, God, Donnie. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm scared. And, oh, watching Buffy break down, I sobbed during the scene too. Um, did you? No. <laughs> um as she says that last part, though, we see the outline, like the shadow of Joyce's body. We know it's Joyce because of her fantastic hair. She walks past the living room window. The curtains are drawn, but we see her outline. And it is spooky. Oh, it is so effective and so scary. Because it's obviously not her, it's Pet Cemetery. So we get a knock at the door and Buffy turns around and the way she says it, Cara, she says, Mommy. Yeah. That oh. broke
1: my heart. I didn't cry, but my heart was breaking here.
2: Oh and but see, and this is the brilliance, this is why I like the scene so much. They switch now. Buffy all of a sudden yes. forgets all yes. of the stuff she was saying. So she's like, No, you know what? I just convinced myself this is a great idea. I need my mom back. And it's Dawn who is now like, Oh, this is actually really dangerous. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something about it. Yeah. Buffy runs to the door, and as she's doing that, Dawn Takes the picture of Joyce and she rips it in half. And just as Buffy opens the door, she looks out and Joyce is gone and there's, it's just an empty porch, right? And then it hits her all over again that her mom's not coming. Her mom's not there. Her mom's dead. So she turns around and she looks at Dawn and she says, Dawn. And she starts crumbling. Dawn runs to her and the two girls hug and they both are sobbing and they fall to the ground. And that's the end of the episode. And like, yeah, this, it, it, like, I bawled my eyes out. I was like, that is such an effective scene. I love the scene. I, I love that it has that horror aspect to it. But I also love that the girls are comforting each other finally.
1: Right, because it's a wonderful conclusion to the episode because it mirrors the body, right? We finished the body on another Buffy Don scene where Buffy has just rescued Dawn from that vampire And then they're staring at Joyce's body and Dawn's kind of like, you know, where did she go? It was a very kind of abrupt ending. Here we have kind of the closure of that where once again, Joyce has left, right? Her body was coming back. It wasn't her, but it was her body or something like it. And now it's gone again. And it's once again, it's the Summer sisters together, very emotional, very intense, mourning their mom But this is much healthier because they've reached the point in this stage of grieving where they can talk to each other. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier in the episode about how everybody goes through grief alone. And Buffy's issue was she felt like she couldn't open up. Mm -hmm. She felt like there was nobody around except when Angel showed up that she could talk to. And so she forgot. You know, I don't think she was ignoring Dawn on purpose, but she forgot that Dawn is there. And that Dawn needs to see her cry and Dawn might want to talk about this stuff. And that's why grief counselors are a thing. Mm. That's why people go to therapy with grief, especially with family members. It's like funerals and wakes and grief are not for the dead. Grieving doesn't do anything for dead people. They're dead. Grief is for the living. It is our body's way of helping us survive this tragedy because we have to, which is something we talked about in the previous episode. So yes, we are isolated in our, in our grief. It's part of the fundamental tragedy of the individual human existence, but also we are connected in our grief. We can come together in our grief. And that's what we see at the very end of this episode. They start the episode apart and they finish the episode together.
2: Yeah. And I, with a, a better understanding, like again, I wish I wish that it didn't escalate to violence in this scene. I think they both understand each other so much more now. And the fact that they switched roles at the very end there, ugh. And like Buffy's got such a journey to go through because she said, "I don't feel like an adult. I feel like I'm failing as an adult." And here she is letting her kid sister hold her when she says, "Mommy," right? Like, oh my god, oh my god, you girls, you're so so so. Ugh, it's it's just so sad. Great scene. Um, next time I rewatch the show, I don't think I'll ever just watch the body. I'll always watch this episode with it. I think the two go hand in hand now. I think that they're they're nice. Shot and chaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, who's your hero?
1: Gotta be Angel.
2: <laughs> it's my boyfriend. Well, he, came, Angel. he came
1: back to Sunnydale just to be the hero of this episode. Come on. He
2: portaled over from whatever's going on in LA right now to be with Buffy, to be there for her. I also, I picked Angel, obviously, obviously. Miss him, wish she would stay. You know what? Where was Buffy all day? Was he, she with Angel? Did they like go and like, hang out for a bit? Because we didn't see her all day shout out though to tara i think tara was a very calming presence for dawn not even though dawn <laughs> shunned her right
1: i just i feel like her funeral wear disqualifies her oh
2: you're right oh i forgot i already forgot about it um angel it is angel for life you're my hero angel i miss you so much i hope to catch up with you in la soon Ugh, yeah that was brutal i can't believe she wore that okay do we have hot steaks today
1: (laughs) we have one hot steak from jasmine i think you'll like this one steph okay jasmine says this hot steak could honestly fit anywhere after the body basically that's good (laughs) Uh, mentions forever so we'll talk about it's it's in this episode uh but basically riley sucks (laughs) in forever angel comes down to be there for buffy after the loss of joyce and even spike helps don cope though misguided And he was leaving flowers out, not for recognition. Yet, we get nothing from Riley. I understand he's deep in a Belize jungle, but he was there to see firsthand how hard Joyce's illness was affecting Buffy. Buffy opened up to him in a way that she hadn't with anyone else. I will also take this opportunity to say, fuck Hank Summers for abandoning his kids once again.
2: Mm, Jasmine, I couldn't have agreed more. I couldn't have said it better myself. Fuck Riley, Great. and fuck Hank Summers. Well done.
1: I mean, this season is really showing Buffy which men in her life she can depend on.
2: There is one. There, there are two. Giles and Angel. And sometimes Xander. Xander today. <laughs> Xander that time.
1: It's just sometimes he's very creepy about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will say this, you know, just as an afterthought, kind of a difference between somebody like Xander and Spike. They're both very creepy in their uh, affection for Buffy. Obviously Xander has a soul. Um that doesn't excuse him, but I do think Xander means well and he genuinely feels a warmth towards Buffy, right? Like and he has grown as a character over the past several years. He's not as creepy as he was in season one. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's to his credit versus Spike, who's just like, you know, it. well, if I can't have Buffy, I'm gonna torture her instead.
2: Yeah. No, no, we 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 can attest to Xander's maturity in some ways for sure
1: here we go i wonder what's i wonder what's gonna happen next episode i know
2: i wonder if it's gonna be like after the funeral (laughs) like they decide to have a wake after all
1: thank you to all of our supporters on buy me a coffee especially our chosen ones lizzie holly kayla jordan julian nicola luis joshua
0: emma taza kyle destiny erica allison jace Haley, and
2: tasha Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options.
1: We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week.
0: We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us
1: at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. And Prophecy underscore girls on Twitter.
0: Also email us at 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 gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our Discord.
1: Can't wait to hear from
0: you. Praise Molik See you next week.